Welcome to Episode 2 of Living in Recovery, a podcast devoted to sharing the stories of fellow CPP employees who are living in recovery with an addiction. The focus of this podcast is to share the experiences of those who have struggled with alcohol or drugs in the hopes of breaking the stigma that's often associated with addiction. Also, the goal of this podcast is to stimulate hope amongst those who may be struggling but are discouraged or intimidated by the prospect of seeking help. As a disclaimer, the words expressed in this podcast are based on personal experiences alone and are not meant to be taken as medical advice or to promote one method of treatment. Today, Carlos shares his recovery experience with us and what helped him come to terms with his addiction. Carlos is a Border Patrol agent and a peer support member. Now Carlos discusses what works for him in his approach to recovery. After you completed treatment, what did that look like for you? Oh, listen, they say that when you get sober, your problems don't go away. In fact, they kind of come out into the light. And that's exactly what happened with me. As a family dynamic, alcohol was sort of covering up a lot of issues. Once the alcohol went away, a lot of those issues came to light. and we had to work on those issues, marital issues, parenting issues. It was difficult. I mean, we, we went through counseling. We used EAP. We went through family counseling. My son went through counseling. We did family counseling. It, it took time to come back together to heal after recovery. I'd say for my family, that, that was a, almost a year-long process. And then... From that point on, it's been growth. It's been real growth in terms of our relationships, in terms of our family dynamics. I mean, like I said a a second ago, you know, I I couldn't have imagined ever being as close as I am to my kids. I, I, I never knew that a father could be so close to their kids and really genuinely share a love the way we do. And that couldn't have happened without getting sober. And then work-wise, well, I feel like, you know, there, there was a lot of potential that I had. Well, there was a lot of potential that, that I did exhibit that I, you know, lived up to that potential. And then the alcohol sort of brought it back down where I was just kind of, you know, resting on your laurels, as they say, and, and really dig back into, into work that I loved. Now, I said, yeah, this isn't where I wanted to be. But the truth of the matter is, when I joined the Army, I loved it. I re-enlisted because I enjoyed it, and I liked the deployments, the two-year-long deployments that I did. And if it wasn't, you know, I, I enjoyed that time, but if it wasn't for for that that staying away from, from home and staying away from the family, I probably would have stayed in the Army. So I got out, looked for something that, that kind of could give me a similar feel, and found out about the Border Patrol during a, a job fair there in, in my Army installation. And decided to do it. Loved it. Had a great time. I love this work. And the, the problem was I, I just kind of paused the active part of that work. And now try to get myself in, in, in all kinds of, of different aspects of the job. Peer support has been amazing. I love peer support. Uh, I love teaching peer support. And then at my station, I try to do, get a lot of things done, uh, various aspects, little collateral duties, and stay busy. 
and you know, as you know, recently promoted, and I'm really truly having a blast. I was talking to Pete earlier today about it. Just absolutely love uh, being a supervisor and trying to take care of things and sort of affecting people's day to day life, improving things for MSS, for our agents, for the command staff, just making things better, and then pushing forward sort of uh, our missions and objectives within our station, the things we're looking to do and trying to get that done to the, to the best of my ability with the most excellent work I could do. It's rewarding. So every day I come home, I'm excited. I actually have more energy at the end of the day than I did at the beginning of the day because it's the culmination of everything I've done. Uh, and it just pushes me forward. I mean, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Were you concerned that your treatment would negatively impact your career? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was one of the other barriers besides my own pride and admitting that I was to the point where I needed professional help was thinking that that this was going to affect my career. I was so blinded by the alcohol to not realize that that living an alcoholic life was really preventing my career from going forward. It was really that was the biggest hindrance to my career. And when I did decide that, hey, I've I've reached my bottom of the barrel. It sort of didn't matter. Like, I guess you could say I didn't care. How is this going to look on my career? The fortunate thing for for me, where I was at, my chain of command absolutely supported it. They, you know, I, I heard, I'd heard a rumor that that some agents were like, "Oh, he's just going to rehab to like save his career." I, I was going to rehab to save my life, and when I told my chain of command. Hey, I, and I was scared to, Hey, look, I, I want to go into treatment. And, and this thing, apparently after doing the research, this thing takes like 30 days, uh, the places I was looking at. And they said, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a AL sick leave combination. And they said, yes, do it. Like, if this is what you need, we are, we support you a hundred percent of the way. They absolutely supported me. I, when I came back, I had nothing but support from my chain of command, uh, from the whole staff. And I mean, that's all I can imagine a scenario where I didn't get support from my chain of command and, and being here where I am today. If I didn't have the kind of support I got from my, from my station, from my leaders. Um, so I was, ex- I was extremely concerned that it was going to impact my career. Come to find out. No, no, it didn't. Not at all. It improved my career. If we're worried about career, again, at that point, I, I'd given up hope. Uh, given up hope of a great career, I guess you could say, because I, I had been engulfed by this addiction. So when I went out to get the help, even though I felt or I feared that it was going to negatively impact my career, it, it absolutely has not. Absolutely has not. What does recovery look like for you today? So recovery for me today, well, I'm just going to be honest. I'm gonna be, it's interesting because, and I say honest because, you know, I had a, I went to AA for the first year and a half. One of the things, and, and I talked to another uh, friend of mine who successfully, st- you know, has remained and stayed sober, kept a sobriety, was that for me, AA was a reminder of the drinking. And so every week, you know, at first it was every couple of weeks and then it became every week, but it became a, a constant weekly reminder of my drinking time. 
And as a result, I kind of started stepping further and further away. And I only really did a, for the first two years. And then after that, I, I haven't gone back. I, I actually, well, I say that I went back recently uh, when I was deployed down South and it was sort of to reconnect with the program. And it was wonderful. Uh, I will say it, it was wonderful because in my little community, when I first started doing it, AA, the people who were going to AA for and this is for you know for law enforcement were people who were court ordered to go to to AA. So they would come with pieces of paper that had to get signed to prove that they'd gone to a meeting, and it was sort of marginalizing to be there willingly, and of course not telling them who I am or what I do. You know, it's alcoholics anonymous, but still feeling like I, I can't really connect too well with this community. Found two deployments ago, found uh, a, a good community. There's actually, it was a couple places that, had, that were hosting AA meetings, and I found one that was doing it. That's all they did. It was a building. All they did was NAAA, uh, a few other things, but it was just a, like a recovery house. And I thought, well, that that seems like a community that could, like, really wants to be there. And that's exactly what I found. And, and it was great. They were, you know, I was embraced by them. It, it was great. Having said that, for me, sobriety, it's just not something, and again, this is almost nine years in at this point, it's not really something that I struggle with and it's not something I think about. However, people will say, hey, people who know that I'm a recovering alcoholic might say, hey, well, just have one. It'll be fine. And I say, no, no, I've been down that route. It's it's fine. And for the most part, uh, nobody really pushes the issue. Nobody really like, no, no, you have to. You know, that doesn't happen. And really, the only time I think about drinking is when when people might offer it to me or say, hey, well, come, come join us. And I'll join them with like a soda or water or something like that. But, you know, I'm not going to obviously I'm not going to partake in the, the drinking part of alcohol. But on a day to day basis, you know, my wife's been very supportive we don't, I guess our, our lifestyle is such that we just don't go out. I mean, we're older when I'm in my early forties, our lifestyle isn't such that we go out to clubs or we don't go out uh, drinking with friends and stuff. We might hang out and go to dinner with friends, but you know, the friends that have kids. So sort of the lifestyle has helped, you know, kind of mitigate any kind of, you know, challenges to the sobriety so for me, the way sobriety looks is sort of boring, I guess you could say. It's sort of a, a, a just a regular life, but boy, that life, that life is, is is something that I really longed for during those drinking days. That's interesting that you say that, that during those drinking days, you longed for what you have now. I mean, you think of the party lifestyle of drinking, and that's one thing. But when you're addicted to it and you you have to go drink on a on a daily basis, that's no longer a party. That is I mean, you're imprisoned by it. You really are imprisoned by it. And, and there's no freedom in it. And the freedom now is the freedom to just live my life and pursue whatever hobbies, interests, uh, family fun and adventures, things that I want to do without carrying that thousand pound weight that is the alcohol that would have to in some way have to accompany me back in the day. 
what do you, from your perspective, what's the best thing about your life now after these nine years? I think I'm the real Carlos that I was supposed to be. I'm the true, genuine version of me. And merely stopping drinking didn't get me there. It was the years afterwards of sort of building up my identity and who I am based on my values, based on my pursuits. I mean, if I think about the years of drinking and I think about who I am now, I mean, I really, really like myself. I like who I am. I have love for myself. I didn't have that back then. That'd be the the top thing. You know, as I go through the the counseling program that I'm in, I'm doing um, mental health counseling, a graduate degree. I'm in sort of towards, I'm wrapping up towards the end of that stuff. So what I've learned at graduate school really is like how important human connection is to people's happiness. I mean, there's TED Talks about it. True happiness isn't what you own. It isn't the car you drive, the money you make, or really the job you have. It's the human connections you make at work, the human connections you make with your family, with your friends. That is happiness. And I didn't have those connections back then. My connection, my main sweetheart was liquor. (laughs) That is not the case now. I have real genuine connections and that brings out so much happiness in my life. What do you feel are your challenges to maintaining that recovery or that sobriety now? If there were challenges and I got to tell you because of my family support, I I don't struggle with it. Not nine years in three, four years in sure. If there were challenges, it's stress, whether it's the stress of these Southern employments, whether it's the stress of my teenage son, challenges he faces at school, sort of the teenage angst years, just basic quibbles in in a marriage, challenges at work, just stress for so long. And and we're talking even before the real deep alcoholic years for so long, pretty much from, from the time I went to college till the time I got sober. The coping mechanism was always alcohol. And so the biggest challenge is when you get those really, really uh, difficult situations in your personal life to not turn to what worked for so long. You know, it was dysfunctional. It really didn't work, but it felt it soothed in the immediate aftermath. It soothed. And so having lost family members since getting sober. I guess that really is the one of the hardest challenges would be to because the thought crosses your mind, but know that no, nope, I'm not going to do that. So that is probably one of the biggest challenges is when there is a lot of personal stress to not go back to that coping mechanism. And how do you deal with that now? You mentioned your family support. Is there anything that you employ? You know, some people say exercise. Some people say, you know, they have various coping mechanisms. I don't know if there's any one thing. I know when I got out of rehab, my wife and I talked about how important it was for me to be honest about those feelings. And yeah, early on, those feelings of wanting to drink again would come back often. And so on the occasions when 
that there's a hint of that coming. Even if I see it coming a mile away, I'm going to bring that up. I'm going to be open and honest with it, uh, with my wife and with my friends. I will say, Hey, I'm struggling. Or even I've got a couple friends that I've maintained in rehab and, and reaching out to them to say, Hey, I've been thinking about drinking. Even I'm, I'm not going to do it, but boy, I've been thinking about it. It's been crossing my mind. And so being open and honest about it and, and telling my loved ones that I'm getting a sense that, that that's something that's coming up in me to want to drink again. I begin to talk about it. I begin to, to be open about it instead of keeping it a secret inside. I remember one of the things I told my wife was if I start keeping secrets outside of, uh, and I told my best friends at the time, if I start keeping secrets like outside of alcohol, just, just trying to be, you know, keep things to myself, then that's, that's probably a wrong road. That's, that's an indicator that I could slowly leak into these other really for me, shameful feelings of wanting to drink again. So I try to keep open and honest communication with my family and loved ones about that issue. You mentioned a couple times about the support you got from supervisors and how you wouldn't be here today without, without that support. Has that changed how you act as a supervisor now? Absolutely. You know, that time, what that taught me was how my work family, just like I I get support from my family family, how my work family can help pull me out of a hole. And when I see, so this is, this is that, that situation, what I experienced then plus peer support, what that's taught me is if somebody is struggling on any level for any topic, being able to reach out on like a personal level, on an emotional level to help pull them up to provide support. Cause in the army days, that sort of training as a sergeant, as a platoon sergeant was more like, Hey, you will do what I tell you to do. And that was a completely different way of solving a problem. And what I've learned through my experience with my chain of command and uh, recovery is now there's a better way. There's absolutely a better way to provide support, to to sort of help encourage somebody out of that hole as opposed to just commanding or, or really, I guess you could say, more of a punishment framework of trying to change people's behavior. So, yeah, if people come up to me, whether as an agent or as a supervisor now, kind of struggling with problems, instead of looking straight at the behavior and trying to change that behavior trying to figure out okay where is it coming from where more like what's the root of this behavior and especially hands down i mean if they're approaching me asking for help i mean there's no way we're not going to really try to to look at the big picture as opposed to an isolated event or an isolated problem we're we're going to look at the big picture and start looking at solutions seeing what what can be done what would you say to someone maybe listening to this podcast or trying to decide if if they should seek help? Why should they bother when there are clearly some understandable reasons they used it to begin with? How much longer? How much longer do you want to keep doing this? How much longer do you want to wish you were better? Is, is it a month? Okay. Is it a year? 
Yeah, maybe you could. But you could begin stopping it today. You can become better. All those things that alcohol, that addiction has taken from you are available to you to recapture for yourself. To make it your own again. Nobody can make you seek help. But once you make that decision to seek help, your life will change. If you're genuinely looking for help, your life is going to change. How much longer do you want to continue to wish you stopped? Because that's, that's what it was for me, and that's what it's been for a lot of people I've known. They wanted to stop. They wished they could stop. And they just didn't. It was harder. It seemed harder to stop. But the life afforded to you when you do is so much better than the life you're living now. Thank you for listening to part two of our conversation with Carlos. To hear part one, please go to the Living in Recovery SharePoint site.